0: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nick Gibson. I'm a pastor here at High Point Church with a number of other pastors from this area coming together to celebrate Good Friday with you. Good Friday and the—it's following through into Resurrection Sunday and Easter is the height of the Christian calendar, the greatest celebration of our year because it's the greatest event of our faith. Um, We gather today to celebrate on Good Friday the, the death of Christ at the culmination of the Passover feast the Jewish celebration of God's deliverance of his people from slavery. Christ's death, scripture says, was for our sins, done to reconcile us to God, so that he might give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that he could form us in our character to be true sons and daughters, and so that he could ultimately glorify us with Christ in a second resurrection. But the glory of these truths had to be accomplished by the unwarranted hostility, the unjust imprisonment and torture, and the humiliating execution of the most loving and upright man this world has ever seen, the God-man, Jesus the Christ. Part of the celebration is to mourn the true events of the passion, the suffering of Jesus, that was all done by him, done for us, and done to the end of love. Let's pray as we start. God, as we come and strangely celebrate the unjust death of the Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, we pray that you would make us sensible of the beauty of his work, the passion of his love, the righteousness of his goals, and that even with all that was laid before him, that he chose it out of joy, even in the anguish of the work itself. Help us in these moments as we remember on this day Christ's death as our liberating sacrifice from the slavery of sin, our second Passover. Help us to accept it so that we receive the spiritual death of Christ, that we can take up our cross daily and follow him in the way of the cross, as the apostle said, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Help us to both mourn and glory in the death of Jesus the Christ. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would transform us and help us see who it is we were were meant to be conformed into the image of to become true sons and daughters. We pray in his name. Amen. Hey
1: everyone, we are so glad to have you with us. My name is Nicole Kyle. I'm one of the worship leaders at High Point Church. This is Kyle from Blackhawk and Chad from High Point. And we're excited to be able to worship together even though we're from different churches and right now we're in different homes, we're still really excited that we get to be worshiping together and united by the gospel of Christ. So would you please sing with us as we sing these songs and worship God together.
2: stand before your maker full of wonder full of fear come behold his power and glory yet with confidence draw near for the one who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love rejoice Come and lift your hands and raise your voice He is worthy of all praise, rejoice Sing the mercies of your King And with trembling rejoice We are children of the promise The beloved of the Lord one with everlasting kindness, but with sacrificial blood. Bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the affections of a father who will never. Your King and with trembling rejoice. All our sickness, all our sorrows, Jesus carried up a hill. He has walked this path before us, He is walking with us still. Turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise, there is blessing in the battle, so take heart and stand amazed. Rejoice, when you cry to him, he hears your voice. suffering, he will have
1: sin for us.
3: My name is Paul Lundgren. I'm the pastor over at Gateway Community Church in Middleton, and I have the privilege of doing the scripture reading from Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 39. Mark 15, 1 through 39. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. While you're turning there, let me just encourage you to keep your focus on the passage that we're reading. Uh, It's because we have the written word of God that we are able to understand uh, the events that we are celebrating today. So uh, let's keep our minds focused on the word as we read from Mark's gospel today. Mark writes, Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, "'Are you the king of the Jews?' asked Pilate. "'You have said so,' Jesus replied. "'The chief priests accused him of many things. "'So again Pilate asked him, "'Aren't you going to answer? "'See how many things they are accusing you of.' "'But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. "'Now it was the custom at the festival "'to to release a prisoner whom the people requested. "'A man called Barabbas was in prison "'with the insurrectionists "'who had committed murder in the uprising.' The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see which each, what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone.
2: Sorrows, what a name for the sun.
4: Hello, everyone. Uh, Good afternoon. I'm Glenn Smith, Metro Believers Church Lead Pastor, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. Um, This is a difficult time for all of us. These are difficult days, and it's awesome to be together. There's just something powerful about being together. There's also something powerful about doing something together. And so we've decided uh, as a group of pastors to say in unison, out loud together, the Apostles' Creed. And I'd like to invite you to recite that with me today as we do it together. The words will appear on your screen as we say it now. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his Holy Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the virgin mary he suffered under pontius pilate was crucified died and was buried on the third day he rose again he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the father from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead i believe in the holy spirit the holy catholic church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we together around this city and perhaps even around this country have proclaimed what we believe. We believe in you, and we know God as Jesus went to the cross to pay the price in full for every single one of us. He did it in full, and we can have great, great confidence in our salvation because of that. I pray, Father God, for every single person that's watching today, and I pray that each one of us would stop and reflect and think about the incredible price that was paid for our salvation. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ into the earth to pay the price in full for our sin. We thank you for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.
5: Hello, my name is Daniel Owen and I'm the lead pastor at Blackhawk Fitchburg and I'm really thankful to be here uh, with all of you uh, Today, you know, this is a really important time for us as a church to meet together And this is a a great occasion in the sense that we are really gathered here as a uh, Many churches that are gathered here different denominations and we're all really unified by what Christ did on the cross You know a month ago today my wife and I were planning a vacation. We were excited to spend some time in the sun and spend some quality time uh, together. A month ago, my sons entered karate, and uh, they were looking forward to figuring out their first kind of belt and how to move up. And we were discussing as a family what are some summer plans that we might want to have. A month ago, I could buy toilet paper and hand sanitizer and yeast in almost any store. Um, but that has drastically changed, right? I mean, my family and I, were no longer going on vacation. Uh, my sons are suspended. They can't go to karate. And we're a few rolls of toilet paper away from having to do some really drastic things. Um, but we'll figure it out. You know, COVID-19 uh, has really changed my world. It's changed all of our worlds. And we're all having to adjust to new norms. We're all having to adjust to what is needed. You know, in many ways, our society and our nation has had to get back to the basics, right? Uh, our families and our, and our communities have had to think not about what we want to do, but what about what we need to do and what is essential. Today, the question, what is essential, is a really uh, common question. It's a question that all of us are really thinking about. And, and what's interesting about it is that it really moves us to the core of something, right? Like, what is essential in the sense of uh, the businesses that need to be open? Or, Or what are the essentials that we need in our home? When we ask that question, it moves us to the very things that we need. In our faith, we celebrate Good Friday. Because generations and generations of Christians before us said that this day is essential to remember. On Good Friday, we commemorate Christ's death. But why is Christ's death essential to our faith. Why is it essential to the gospel? I mean, the gospel has many parts, doesn't it? I mean, let's think about this. God created the world. God created us. Now, we separated ourselves from God, but then God chose a family. He chose Abraham. And through Abraham and his descendants, he was going to raise a hero, uh, a savior, someone who would rescue us. Someone who would restore the world, and then he would come back again. I mean, all of those things are a part of the gospel, aren't they? All of those things are, are a part of this story. Yet, when we ask the question, what is at the core of the gospel? There's no doubt, at the core of the gospel, it's Christ's death. How do we know this? Let's look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. You can read along uh, with me there. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you've received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. And if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. What Paul is saying here is that this is the core of the gospel, this is essential. And if you don't believe it, then you are not saved. So let's read on. Verse 3. For what I've received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here comes that essential part. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. Now let me just stop right there. What Paul is saying is that at the core of the gospel, there are really four verbs. Christ died, he was buried, He rose, and he appeared. Now, what we see here is that Christ died. And proof of that he died is that he was buried. And Christ rose. And proof that he rose was that he appeared. So really, there's two kind of essential verbs that are taking place here. He died, and he rose. Now, in a few days, we're going to spend a number of times, uh, uh, some services together, thinking about all about Christ's resurrection. So today, I want to focus... On that first essential verb, that Christ died. Paul said, "For what I've received, I passed on to you as of first importance: "Christ died for our sins." Now this is a phrase that many of us have heard before. In fact, if you've been to church or you've grown up in the church, then you've heard this a number of times. But do we actually take the time to stop and think about it what it really, really means? You know, there's a lot that's going on behind this statement. You know, take for example, this happens in our life in a number of ways. Take, for example, the statement, I love you. Over 13 years ago, I told my wife that I loved her. And I was fortunate enough that she said it back to me. It took a few weeks, but eventually she did say it back to me. Now, for over 13 years, she's been telling me almost every day that she loves me. I'm really lucky. I'm a really lucky guy. And every time she says it, it is meaningful. But I got to be honest, I don't think I step back and think about all that's going on behind that statement. Because the truth is she means so much more than what those three words can say. And the same is true for the phrase, Christ died for our sins. This is a statement we've heard, but do we really understand it? And so I want to take just a few moments with you to just unpack a few things about this statement. Unfortunately, I can't unpack all of it because that would just take way too much time. But let's think about a few things to meditate on this specific day. I want to start with this. That Christ died is the first part of that statement. You know, most of the time a person's death is unknown to them. For example, like I don't know how or I don't know when I'm going to die. But that actually isn't true and wasn't true for Christ's death. Christ's death wasn't accidental. And it wasn't unexpected. It was chosen. He willingly chose it. Yes, Pontius Pilate turned him over to be crucified. And yes, the Romans nailed him to a a torture device called a cross. But it was something that Jesus willingly chose to do. We know that because of what he says in John 10, verse 18. Jesus says this in reference to his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Now, if no one can take Jesus's life from him, that he has to lay it down, well, then that means that he willingly chose to die. He chose the cross. Do you think it's possible that Jesus chose the cross without really knowing what was going to take place? In a sense, could he have overlooked the fine print? You know, sometimes that happens. We agree to things without fully understanding what's going to take place. Take for example, I I have an iPhone, and uh, you know, I love this uh, device. A number of you have a, a, a ton of different devices that are out there. Some of you have iPhones, and every device needs to be updated from time to time, correct? Like it needs, uh, you know, to add new features or new securities to it, right? And so if we update it, you just go to like the settings, you follow the prompts, and eventually you get to this screen where it has like all this legal jargon, right? Now I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to be just honest with you. And maybe I should be ashamed of this, but I don't actually ever read the f- small fine print. I don't actually ever read it. I just, I just scroll until I get to the part where it says I can agree and move on. I never actually read the fine print, which means I'm choosing to agree to something without fully understanding it. Is it possible that Jesus could have done that? Maybe, maybe he just wanted to agree and move in. But that doesn't seem uh, to be the case at all. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went before the Father in prayer and he said, God, If it's possible take this cup from me. Which means that Jesus knew what was about to happen. Which means Jesus knew how hard it was going to be. Which means Jesus knew how much it was going to hurt. And yet he chose to do it. He chose the cross. He chose to suffer. He chose the pain. He chose To be spit on he chose to be humiliated why did he choose those things because he loved you and because he loved me because he loved us paul says christ died for our sins christ died for our sins he didn't die for himself or for his gain he died for us and the sins that we have committed. Now, I know sin is a strong word, but really, essentially, sin are those things that we do that we wish we would not have done. They're those things that make us not perfect. And I'm sure that if I asked you today, hey, are you perfect? You'd say, no, 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 I'm not perfect. I've messed up. I'm not perfect. I think all of us understand and agree that we're not perfect. And sometimes, I fear that that actually minimizes and dismisses the seriousness of sin. Because the truth is, no matter how big or small we may think sin is, it always comes between us and God. Have you ever thought to yourself, well, if God is so loving, then why doesn't he just overlook our sin? Couldn't he just overlook it? And then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. In fact, that maybe sounds like the loving thing to do. You know, I am asked to overlook people who hurt me. So couldn't God just overlook the sin I commit? Well, maybe let's think about it a a different way. You know, my family loves pizza. On Saturday nights, we uh, get pizza uh, together almost every week. Uh, My kids, I have two boys, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, who absolutely love it. And we love to order pizza from a lot of different local uh, places. In fact, I've got some pizza uh, for here this morning uh, for us. Um, You know, as I'm getting this set up, I want to just speak to that for just a moment. You know, it's right now it's a tough time for a lot of our small businesses and and a lot of the workers. In fact, I talked to a restaurant owner uh, earlier today and he said, you know, people are still ordering takeout, which is so good because that is helping us to sustain and to pay the workers that we have. So, you know, it's good, it's good in times like this to order takeout. Even though we can't go and sit and eat at those restaurants we love, we can still get some of the great food uh, that they make. So I brought some pizza in for us today. This is a a pineapple bacon uh, pizza from one of the local uh, pizza places. And I absolutely love it. It's one of our favorite Uh, It's one of our favorite pizzas. And, um, you know, I know for some of you, uh, pineapple and bacon, it might not be your favorite topping, but I bet, I bet you could overlook that and, and go ahead and maybe, maybe take a bite. But let's take this for a moment. What if, what if I put some hair on it? Okay, just for this illustration. In fact, I went ahead and cut my son's hair this past week and I saved some of the hair. Uh, just for this illustration. So I don't know how well you can see this at home. This is some of his hair right here. And I'm just gonna put this on the pizza, and I'm just gonna go ahead and rub it all in. You know, get it all like nice and around. Put it all there. Okay, I don't know. See if you can see that. I'm not sure if you can, but I have hair covering this entire slice of pizza. I have hair all over it. Now, would you be able to eat this pizza? Would you be able to overlook the hair on this pizza and just push through and eat it anyway? I got to be honest. I know where this hair came from. It's my son's hair and I would not eat it. There is no way that I would eat this pizza. My son is five years old. I found this interesting. He's five years old and I I told him that I was going to do this. He's probably watching right now. He's excited about it. He, uh, I asked my son, I said, son, would you, would you eat the pizza? If I put your hair on it, would you eat the pizza? Now he's five. And he said, no, I would not eat the pizza. And he said, I said, why not? He was like, it's gross. It's gross. And I think all of you are thinking that right now. I mean, I can't see your faces, but I bet some of you are cringing. Maybe you even turned away from the screen. Because in our nature, we know No, you do not eat food with hair all over it. It doesn't matter how good a pizza it is. You don't do it. Now there's no rule. There's no law that says that. In fact, I've never told my five-year-old son that you don't do it. But he just knew it because it's in his nature. It's in our nature that our food should be clean. That's the way we go about eating it. Well hair is to us Similarly, like, sin is to God. Now look, it's not a perfect illustration. I'm not going to say that it is. But the point is to kind of get the idea of that, that it's in our nature to not overlook this hair. And if we can't overlook the hair, then how could we expect God to overlook sin? Because in His very being, and His very nature, is His holiness and His justice. See, God is holy, which means that he has to do something about our sin. And God is just, which means he has to punish our sin. Justice means that you get what you deserve. And sin deserves to be punished. But God is also love. In his very being, in his very nature, he is loving. And so God made a way. He made a way that he could punish our sin and preserve the sinner. God made a way, because of his love for us, to punish our sin and yet preserve the sinner. He saved our life. And the way that he made it is by placing that on his son, Jesus Christ. In the text, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins. And then there's this phrase right after it that says, according to the scriptures. Listen to one of the many scriptures that he was probably referring to. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He, being Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And I want to just pause there. Each of us, not just some of us, not even most of us, but each of us, all of us have turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Christ died on the cross, God laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all, so that by his wounds we are healed. I mean, this is amazing. This is so powerful that God, who is holy and who is just, found a way to deal with sin in a just way that he punished sin, but he preserved our life. And he was willing to do it by placing it on his son, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus chose the cross, he didn't just choose to do something that was painful. He chose to do something that would also allow God to put the punishment of our sin on him. Christ died for our sins. That's what that means. You know, in our faith and in our salvation, sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we focus a lot on what we do. The truth is our faith has always been about and will always be about what He has done. When we think about what is essential to the gospel and essential to our faith, at the very core is Christ's death. It has to be because without Christ's death there is no gospel, there is no resurrection, there is no hope, there's no future glory if Christ has not died. In our place. You know, I have had the privilege to spend time on this passage these past few weeks. And I just want to say I am so, so thankful. Because deep down, I know the brokenness, I know how messed up I am, I know the ugly things that, that I have thought. Or that I have felt that no one else even knows. And I know that I deserve all the consequences for the mistakes that I've made. That punishment should be on me. But Jesus took that punishment for me. And what Christ did for me, he also did for you. He did that for all of us. Do you believe that? Do you know that? And I don't mean just know it like you know that phrase. I'm saying, do you know it? Do you know it? Because it changes everything. When we know that Christ has died for us, we know how powerful his love truly is. And in a day like today, and in a season that we're in as a world, it can be easy to think, Oh, God has forgotten about us or God doesn't care and that is simply not the case. Christ died for our sins. He cares and he made a way. Let this be a reminder for us today of how deep and how great is the love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, thank you so much for choosing the cross. Thank you for choosing the pain. Thank you for choosing to be humiliated. Thank you for choosing to suffer, that I might live, that we might live, Today as we remember this and commemorate that may we praise you and give you all the glory Because of what you have done. We shall live Pray this in Jesus name.
6: Amen Amen
1: These next few moments we're gonna sing a song together But um, I just want to encourage you the first time we sing this To just listen to these words reflect on the words that we just got to hear And listen to these words of this song, and I pray that they would bless you and encourage you. Hey.
7: Hey there, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors at Blackhawk Church. We're going to come to a time now where we uh, celebrate uh, the Lord's uh, Table, Communion, uh, Eucharist, and uh, so I'd encourage you now to get uh, the bread that you have and and the juice and get all of that uh, ready. It might uh, seem odd uh, to you uh, because as you look around where you're at, you're Maybe in your living room, or you're in your kitchen. Maybe you're in a guest room, and no one else is around. Maybe it's just you and uh, the people you're doing life with, people in your bubble. Or many of us are—we uh, don't have anybody in our bubble right now. We're uh, single, and we're alone, and it just seems odd. You know, it's like, well, nobody can actually see you right now, so it's like, you know, why should I do this? It kind of feels weird, because what you see, you don't see much actually. You just See yourself and a piece of bread and juice there. But it's what you don't see that gives power to all this, actually. Because what you don't see is, uh, you don't see the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't see him. You don't see the cross of Christ. You don't see... uh, all of the other believers just uh that's represented by all of our churches in the city of Madison you don't see all of those uh, people but that's what gives a uh, power uh, to this it'd be like this if you look right now if you look out your window and just look at a tree when you see that tree you're not really seeing that which gives life to that tree actually gives life to that tree is below the ground. You can't see it. It's that root system. It goes down deep. It's really big, actually. Without that, there's no, no tree. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the cross, there is no communion. And what you can see, maybe just by yourself, in your room, that's just the fruit of so many amazing things that are below the surface. As we take communion now at the same time, all of us from different churches in the area, we are, we are confessing that we are part of the body of Christ. Those of us who can confess uh, the creed that uh, Glenn led us through, those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, you can't see all of us but the Spirit of God gives all of us power. And the Spirit of God that we cannot see gives meaning to what we're going to do now. So I'd ask you to just go ahead and to uh, find uh, the bread. And then let me pray over the bread right now. Father, we thank you for uh, this bread that we have. We pray, Father, that as we hold it, we would remember what Christ has done for us. We remember your, your love for us. We remember your holiness. We remember your justice. And we... We thank you, Father, for the fact that you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son. As we uh, hold this bread and as we eat it, we're linked to that which we cannot see by your Spirit that we cannot see. And we're reminded that you are the one who gives us life. We pray this in Christ's name and for the sake of his reputation. All God's people said, Amen. On the night in which our Lord is betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he blessed it, and he said, This bread is my body. Whenever you eat it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and eat and remember Christ. Let me pray over the cup. Father, we thank you for uh, this cup that we're about ready to drink. The color of the liquid reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed on that cruel Roman torture device for our sins. The blood was shed because we're sinful people. He died for our sins. I am a sinful man. We are sinful people. Our sins separate us from you. Our sins are to you what a hair on a pizza would be to us. You can't stand it. But because you love us, you placed those sins on your son. And he died in our place. We have no hope. We have no relationship with you apart from the work that Christ did on the cross. We thank you, Father, for today, for the reminder of that gospel, that good news. We pray, Father, as we drink this cup, your spirit would unite us as a body of believers from many different churches. He would unite us and help us to see the power of the blood of Christ. We pray this in Christ's name, And for his sake, all God's people said, amen. After the supper, our Lord took the cup. He blessed it. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's remember him.
1: Please sing with me. wounds have paid my ransom. His wounds have paid my ransom.
0: Let me, let me close with the words of the uh, the apostle Paul. He recognized, as a Jew, that God had given us a way to justify ourselves should we choose to be the kind of people we claim to be. He gave us the law to test whether or not— the problem with us was we just didn't know enough. We just weren't directed enough. And when he gave us the law, the apostle says that the law killed us, even though it was perfect, because we wanted to be wicked. We didn't want to serve God, that there was a darkness in us that if you don't see it, it, it ought to frighten you. And so he—the book of Galatians, he says this about the cross of Christ as a solution. He says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. He says this in verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, and the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could have been gained by the law, then Christ died for nothing. Let's end our time together with prayer. God, we come to you this Good Friday remembering the death for our sins that Christ chose. That Christ died for our sins and was buried. We recognize that there is a death of guilt in the death of Christ for us. We confess our our trust in the death of our condemnation that we deserved in the death of Christ. We confess that we believe in the death of our slavery to sin in the death of Christ. And we confess that we believe in the death of death in the death of Christ. And so, like it says in Hebrews 2, our slavery to the fear of death that we've struggled under—struggled under all our lives. God, we recognize today that as we celebrate this in ritual fashion, that we are not truly sensible of the depth of our sin, and we are not truly sensible of the horror and the injustice and the shame bound up in the death of Christ. Holy Spirit, we we pray that you would ask that for every person watching and everyone praying, that you would pour into our hearts a knowledge, a sensibility, a understanding, the capacity to grapple with the meaning of sin and the meaning of Christ dying for our sins. We pray that you'd help us to see its depth. And that our hearts would go farther up and further in, and that it would produce in us a joy that is not paralleled by any of the pleasures we're currently going without. We pray that you would bless us with the knowledge of the truth and the enjoyment of it, Father, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you, good night.